Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Take Flight Podcast, episode number 211, with your four hosts, Daniel Johnson, Oluwakanola, Pavilo Timbo, and I, Shuel Ahmed. Now, from the title, we are back with another very exciting Take Flight Talks interview episodes, where we bring in thought leaders and trailblazers sharing with us their journey and expertise on how they've been able to take flight in their respective arena. Now, in case you've missed any of our previous Take Flight interview episodes, make sure to check them out. We've interviewed senior leaders from various industries, from healthcare to nonprofits, real estate entrepreneurs to pioneers in the music industry to leaders in the angel investing world. The list is growing, so please make sure to check them out if you haven't done so already. But to more important things, today's episode, we have a very special gentleman with us today, and he is a multifaceted leader in both the public and private space. This week's guest is the distinguished Tarek Shah OBE. Now, Tarek is a Doncaster-born businessman and philanthropist. He is the director of Vigo Group, a family of businesses headquartered in Doncaster, and is a seasoned business third sector and public leader. Now, he's played a key role in a successful third-generation family business, which has operations throughout Yorkshire and London. His career has featured the leadership of significant development and regeneration projects combined with community development, which is at the heart of Tarek's commercial and personal values. Now, Tarek joined the family organization in 2006 after graduating from the University of Birmingham, and he has since then dedicated time to improving the areas in which the business operates. This has included chairing boards in his hometown of Doncaster, including being a board member on the Doncaster City Status Bid that successfully pitched for the town to become a city in 2022. Well-deserved. Now, Tarek balances commercial expertise with a social benefit-focused approach to each of the sectors that he plays in. Now, he gives his time and knowledge to support a number of charities on top of everything that you've just heard, which have included the Prince's Trust, the Sleep Charity, and he was also a founding member of him, of His Majesty the King's Mosaic and AHS Foundation. Now, on top of everything that I've just mentioned, in 2021, he also somehow found the time to complete an executive MBA at the University of Cambridge. And in 2022, he was honoured in the Queen's Platinum Jubilee birth, Birthday Honours for his continued work and dedication to charity. Now, he's a passionate and public advocate for South Yorkshire and for the importance of place in solving societal challenges. And through his business and philanthropic endeavors, he strives to make a real difference to the area, to those who live and work in it. Now, I personally had the honor of meeting Tarek dur during a Cambridge University event earlier in the year, and we are all super excited to have him on our show today to share his story. Now, in this episode, we'll be deep diving into Tarek's journey from his younger years to becoming an investor, business, and public sector leader today, his why for the philanthropic activities, the OBE journey, and tips and recommendations as well for all you flyers out there looking to take flight. Now, let's get started with this historic episode with our first OBE guest and hit the music. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah, we never fly, but we're 
Right, guys. So from the title and hopefully the introduction, everyone gets a sense of the amazing achievements that you've had so far, Tarek, in your in your career and your journey so far. But in your own words, how would you describe some of those more pivotal moments through your career so far? So I think the first thing I'd say is that I don't think anything that I've done has been amazing. So it's really kind of you to say that. And uh, honestly, from your from your introduction, I feel a bit tired now, but um, <laughs> but but nothing I've done has been that um, has been that incredible. I don't think, and and actually, a lot of it is just you know things when when good things start to happen, um, other things follow on from that, um, and and it all for me really started a young person. I I followed in the footsteps of a family business, which means that um, actually, and I think sometimes with a family business and with a family that are in business, you can you can react to that in different ways. One of the ways that I feel really fortunate is I got to see that business grow. Um, so I remember the days of sitting at home and and as a young child, um, I remember mum putting me to bed and then when she went downstairs, getting back up and going to the front window, sitting in the window and waiting for my dad to come home, looking out the window for his car. And that for me was because, you know, that that meant that I knew that he was out there working hard um, and, and he put the hours into to make that difference and to change our lives and our outcomes. Um, and that that was a really important first lesson for me is that actually nothing great comes without without sacrifice and without without working really hard. Um, and that 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 time sitting on the windowsill has really followed through into the rest of life. And to be honest, if I've done anything that's been unique or different, it's only really turning up for some long shifts and and hard work. Um, and actually, I think fundamentally, that's that's one of the biggest things for me that people need to need to know is that none of this, no no success comes without without really incredibly hard work, either by you or by somebody else. Um, and in my case, I was following in those footsteps. Uh, but it was also about taking opportunities. My granddad used to have a saying. He said that an opportunity knocks on every door, and it's your choice whether you're there and up and ready to open that door. And and I've I've had some really lucky and fortunate breaks going to university i took every opportunity that was there um, and and that was a really pivotal time for me both in terms of those experiences and what i learned at university but also a few interesting things happened so i started working uh, before i went to university i actually ran my first building site in some way um in the in my year out while i was hoping to sort of maybe go traveling and uh, enjoy life a little bit and actually um you know without having earned any money at that point, uh, my parents had a bit of a different idea about that. So I started work there, um, started out by working on a building site um, and, and got my first experience of management there. Went off to university then and took every opportunity there. And one of the things that I did was I, um, I got involved with charities in Birmingham while I was there. And through that, I met a guy who was really influential in my life. I only met him once, um, but he said something to me that really stuck with me. He was a he was a, a rapper, a musician, um, and he said to me, he said, when I was growing up, all I wanted was respect. But he said the people that looked like me, that felt like me, who got that respect, that I saw, they were footballers, and I can't play football. They were musicians, and nobody was interested in my music, or they were criminals. And he said, because that was what I saw in front of me, that's what I that's what I did. And he said, now that I've found success elsewhere, I know there are people like me who are successful for other reasons and get respect for other reasons. Um, but he said, I didn't see that growing up. 
And I look back on my life and I was really fortunate as a child to have really great role models and actually to grow up in a really mixed and diverse community. Um, and and uh, But I looked at other people that came from a similar background to me. I'm a Muslim. I grew up in a Muslim household. And, and I thought about people growing up in those communities. And I thought, actually, I can see there's others that might that might not have those positive role models. And actually, if I look in, look in parts of Doncaster um, into, in, into all sorts of different communities, there's places where people don't have those great role models that I was really lucky to have. Um, while I was at university, I um, was on a train. And you guys might know, you know those days when you get on a train and you look down and you think, I'm going to have to sit next to somebody who's the least likely to want to talk to me. Yeah. And I looked down the train and I went and sat next to this chap, a middle-aged guy, um, a bit of grey hair, a suit on, and uh, we sat down. We didn't talk for the first, for, for a little while. And um, after a while, we exchanged a bit of, uh, a bit of pleasantries. And we got talking actually about, um, about charity. And, and I told him that story and I said, you know, I can see a similar issue for young people growing up in the Muslim community. And, um, and we exchanged numbers and we went away. What I didn't know at the time was that this chap worked for an organization called Business in the Community, who are, who work, who are and were one of the King's charities. He went away, he remembered that um, he was asked subsequently to uh, look at exactly that issue for the then Prince of Wales, His Majesty the King. Um, and um, for some reason, he remembered me, called me, and asked me to come and get involved with that. Um, so from that really small idea, from that really short, brief conversation, um, and you know, you can you can look at that as being incredible good luck to have that conversation on a train. Um, but also, my granddad said, "Opportunity knocks at every door, but it's your mm. choice to be prepared." And it was having the conversation. It was being prepared to be open and 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 share those thoughts. Um, and and then it was being open to doing something about it afterwards. Um, we went on to found a, to to found Mosaic, which um, which which really uh, grew into something that, uh, that I'm really very proud of. Um, and and that for me, that that changing lives, changing outcomes, creating social mobility. What Mosaic did is what I recognised in my own life, which was it helped young people to find really positive, really relatable role models. Um, and that taught me a few things. One of those things is that it's really important that we have people, we see people around us succeeding that look and feel like us. You know, that we can look at and say, that person's just like me and I can achieve that too. But it's also really important that we recognize that the people around us that don't look and feel like us are also very similar and that they can be positive role models as well. Um, and so that, that piece of social mobility, that understanding of how um, those role models work has been, has been really important. And that really was just, so that feels like a really separate thing. And I use that as a great example of great luck, but also of opportunity knocking and taking advantage of that. Um, but, but that fits really comfortably into our business journey as well. Now, I don't separate that out, the sort of philanthropic work, from what we do as a business, because what we do as a business, um, and, and I think when, when I first joined the business, we struggled maybe to express this in, in language cradle to to find the language for it. Um, but what we do as a business is we change places and we change communities. And we hope we do that for in a positive way. And that means that we work, because we work in urban locations, we work in suburban locations as well. Most of our work is on brownfield formerly developed sites, on places that have maybe been a blight on our communities. And we try and add value to them and bring them forward. 
But at the same time as we're doing that, we invest into those communities as well. So the philanthropy and the and the business investment go hand in hand. And actually, you might think of that as being a really nice thing to do, but I don't. I think of it as being a really uh, sensible thing to do from an investment perspective, because we're a long-term investor. As a family business, one of the things that allows you to do is really think differently about the type of investments we do and the, the length of time that we invest over. You know, my priority is not making money for me, it's it's ensuring stability and security for my children and their children. And that means both financial security is important, but actually, you know, that's probably less important than giving them a good education and uh, giving them the belief in their own ability to change their own outcomes. Um, but what's, what's most important is ensuring that the societies that they're growing up in are stable and they're um, open and they're welcoming and they're places that they'll feel at home in generations to come. Love it. Tarek, on this same topic, and I wanted to double down on it, is can you talk about the weight of moving to a family business? Did you always know that you were going to go into the family business? At what age did you know it? How did that frame your mindset um, emotionally as you were growing up? So we, um, me and mum and dad, we sat down before I went to university and we had that conversation. Uh, so it certainly wasn't always a, uh, a done deal. And to be frank, you know, there was a time when the business wasn't big enough and wasn't um, wasn't established enough that it was even a, something that I think uh, mum and dad were thinking about. Hmm. Um, but so we had that conversation before university. You know, dad was dad was at a point in his career, he was at a point of transition where he could have easily um, either gone down a route of making things much simpler or tried to grow to the next stage. Um, and so we had that open and honest conversation to understand what were my aspirations, but also what were their aspirations and where were they looking to go. And I think that's really important is having aligned objectives. We were both looking for that growth. We were both looking to make that impact. We're all looking to make that impact, both both generations. And having aligned objectives meant that we were, we were going into it with, with um, open eyes. Now, if I'm honest, I'd do something slightly differently if I was to do it again. And that is that I would I would purposefully go and have two to five years of uh, working outside of the business, because although having that those experiences really early on was incredibly powerful for me, and actually that was that was life that was a life changing point in my in my career. Um, I think having external experience is also an incredibly powerful thing as well, and seeing how other people do things and bring then bringing that back into the business would have been would have been really powerful. Um, so that wasn't the route that I took. If I was recommending it for somebody else, that would be the recommendation I'd make for them. Thanks. Tarek, usually what you see actually in, in, in the business world, most businessmen focus and women towards the end of their career on philanthropic type of work. Um, the give back and the charity at the end of their career, once they've sort of, you know, built up a decorated um, uh, business career. You've sort of come into that early in your career. And, and maybe can you speak to sort of what's, I know you've had the two encounters, one, one with the rapper and also one with the gentleman on the train, but what sort of grabbed you early on in your career? What's kept you focused on it? And also, what's the thing that keeps you most fulfilled about doing philanthropic work in your, in your work today? So I think the first thing is that I grew up around this. You know, I, and, and as I say, nothing I've done, I don't think is particularly exceptional. And a lot of that is because I, I've, I've, had, I've had these conversations around me all my life. Um, so charities were being born in our living room um, as I was as I was growing up around them. Um, the 
the the idea of social investment you know those words didn't exist then um, those, those those phrases didn't exist back in those days but the idea of investing in a socially beneficial way and giving back to your community was always at the heart of uh, of our conversations around the dinner table but then also actually religiously there's a religious element to this as well which is that as muslims we have to give at least two and a half percent to um to charity and and to other people and so there's a there was a there was always a religious driver about giving back to to society and and i think that there was a bit of a difference in the way that um, that probably that my family thought about giving back to how most others did in that it was never really considered to be something that you did on the side it was always about running a great business, running a really positive business that has a really good impact. Um, and so, as I say, I don't think what I've done is particularly exceptional because I've sort of fallen into um, fallen into what was expected, I suppose. But then also, it's something that I've always loved. And seeing the impact that can have, but also seeing the, the benefits that come out of it personally and individually as well. You know, I, we always used to say about, and, and I heard it a lot from our mentors with Mosaic, that... Um, I take out more than I put in, and I genuinely believe that that's true. It's it is fulfilling, but not just fulfilling, but it also gives you the opportunity to see change at real scale. And what is business if it's not all about creating change at scale? Um, so, so all of those things being aligned felt really natural for me. Sorry, I just got a question. Um, very curious on on what you just said. It seems as though the philanthropy has been ingrained and instilled in you from a very young age, or part of your your growth. I'm just curious to know. What's your earliest recollection of the conversation? Of course, it wasn't going to be framed around philanthropy, but it's more of, you know, doing for the community. And I'm just, you know, with a, with a son myself, I'm just curious to know when was your earliest um, recollection of that? That is a, that is a very big question. Um, so I remember mum and dad, uh, so my grandparents actually lived opposite the church, the local church. Um, and, and I remember fundraising for the church hall or them fundraising for the church hall uh, when I was very, very young. And the reason I remember that was because I'd got some vague understanding that we weren't Christian, but didn't quite understand why we were raising for a church hall. Um, and they, for them, it wasn't, for my grandparents, it wasn't about religion. It was about facilities that gave back to the community and that religious institutions held value for the people around them. Um, and so that was, that was important to them. So that's probably the first one that I remember. Um, but it was, it was a pretty constant um, uh, there were pretty constant experiences all the way through growing up. And that community around us was really important. I guess moving forward from there, so Tarek, sort of with an eye looking at the future, right? You're working on multiple projects, activities. What are you excited about and most looking forward to right now? Everything is the, is the short answer to that. <laughs> um, if you had to pick a couple. <laughs> let's I'm glad it. you didn't say one. So we've got, We've, we've got some really exciting, really large-scale projects um, in terms of real estate projects. And I can't give out too many details of all of those because, as you can imagine, some of that is quite commercially sensitive. Um, but we've got, we've got some really some, some large-scale projects that I think are going to be really exciting in terms of the real estate. But in terms of the sectors and the areas that I'm most excited about right now, I think town and city centre regeneration is going to be a really big and exciting area. Um, I think we're we're at the cusp. We're, we're seeing a real change in terms of um, how we use our urban cores, and I think there's going to be a really exciting opportunity for us to be a part of that transition. So, bringing families and bringing people and individuals back into those urban centres, um, replace 
taking away. So I think we've moved through an, an era when we used to have people living in one place, working in another, shopping somewhere else, going to school somewhere different. And actually, as we bring all that back together again now, I think that's a really exciting time to be in, in real estate. So I think certainly in terms of some of the urban regeneration work that we're taking part in, both through some of my public sector roles, but also through um, through the private sector, through the work that we're doing uh, through the business as well. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm really excited about. In terms of, And then in terms of creating uh, change at scale, I think that we've we've done some great work in London. The work in London is always really exciting. But actually seeing places in the north start to really um, have some great, some really big ideas and to think at scale and to have ambition at scale, I think is really interesting, exciting. Um, I think the advent of um, elected regional mayors has been really interesting. And, um, and one of the one of the people that we're working with at the moment is Oliver Coppard, who's mayor of South Yorkshire. Um, so I'm on his, I'm sitting on his business advisory board to look at how we really change the infrastructure and ecosystems that uh, of business in South Yorkshire. So having those figureheads and those central political figures to affect change in regions, I think is going to be a really interesting and exciting change. And I think from a public sector perspective, um, that's another one of the areas that we're going to see some real, real exciting change. And those ideas, will some of them birth, because especially the first one you mentioned, post-COVID, right? So you've seen sort of the city centres, the town, um, in some cases, the lack of community sort of doing the way due to COVID. So some of these ideas or elements that you're working on sort of change your thought process post post solo COVID? So I've got to be honest, I think COVID was an accelerator, but I also think it was an mm. excuse. Um, okay. So we, we, we hear a lot now about COVID having changed things, and I don't think COVID changed anything. In some ways, I think it sped things up. But in others, I think all that it did was to, um, was, was to identify a problem that already existed. So it identified opportunities as well. It identified opportunities for us to work remotely. You know, with, we're doing this now all from, I believe, five different places um, around the UK or possibly even around the world. And I don't think we would have been doing that pre-COVID. The opportunity was always there, but it was never, there was never a reason for us to, to work in the way that we work now. But in terms, specifically in terms of our real estate and our, our urban cause, the, the change was already happening. We'd already recognised and identified that change and seen it as being a really important part of our future. But the problem was that nobody was prepared to take the big decisions that needed to be taken in order to make that happen. And the truth is that we have too much commercial space in our urban centres. The truth is that we that for a, for a long time, we've been moving away from using that in the way that we used to. And that retail is no longer the experience that it once was. You know, people don't go out and shop for pleasure in the way that I think they probably did 10 or 15 or 20 years ago. So COVID might have been a bit of an accelerator and a bit of an impact on that, but it isn't the driver of that change. The driver of that change is that if you live in a suburban location, it's more convenient for you to order on Amazon than it is for you to drive or get the bus or get the train into the nearest town or city centre and go and buy that thing in the in the centre. Mm. And if you're in a far urban course aren't experiences, then why on earth would you would you want to go to them? And the question for me, the question that we often see asked by our politicians is how, which kind of box do we put people in in order to get them from one place to another? And the question shouldn't be which kind of box do we put people in? You know, should it be a bus or should it be a car? Should it be a train or should it be an aeroplane? The question should be, how do we have more people in those places where we want them to interact and where we can create great community spaces in the first place? And the answer to that is always about 
shrinking our commercial support, and it's about making our urban spaces more attractive for a wider and more diverse range of people to live and interact and, mm. uh, and play in them. I love it. Thanks. Tarek, so it sounds like you've got um, you've done lots of amazing work already, but there's an even more exciting future ahead. And that key theme that comes through in all of your answers and experiences so far is trying to get more people from diverse backgrounds, maybe historically underserved backgrounds, thinking about the future, thinking about investing and just making investments in that first step. Now, in, in this sense, we have a guest in, in you that has this amazing perspective of being almost behind the curtain. You've seen your family start thinking about investing a lot earlier. Now you're seeing how that's now followed through and you're taking it to a much larger scale. And, and also, of course, uh, to, to remind the listeners of your amazing work with, with the Mosaic a charity organization as well. So with all of that, do you, from your perspective, feel like we as a community or underrepresented community are making a big uh, progress and push forward or is there even still more work to be done and what can we all do to even further accelerate the cause? I mean, I think there's always more work to be done. Um, mm. and, and some of that is around wider communities, but a lot of it is about us as individuals and, and us as individuals making good choices. Um, and those good choices, you know, you talk about investing. Actually, we're all investing every day. The first investment we make is in ourselves. And it's in educating and bringing ourselves forward. And, I, you know, I commend your listeners for, for taking the time to listen to a podcast like this one. Because it's opening eyes and opening and, and helping people to move themselves forward a little bit. So the first one is about investing in ourselves. That's, that's really important. But, but I remember going to events and I go to places and meetings. And it would be, let's be honest, all white you know, there, there, were, there was no diversity and representation in a lot of the spaces that I used to move in. And and that felt, you know, a little bit uncomfortable for me. So I felt really comfortable uh, amongst people from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, white or black, rich or poor, you know, that wasn't really a problem. But being the only person of with any kind of diverse background, the only person who felt a bit different was always a little bit uncomfortable. And I feel like that's a much less frequent occurrence these days. Um, I think what we do have a lot of work to do is to make sure that we're well represented and that we're putting ourselves forward. So there's been we've we've moved forward in a long way, and we've got we've now got a generation of young people who are coming forward, who are taking their place at the table, who are educated and and uh, and who have big ideas and who are prepared to go and implement those ideas. And actually, we're globally and nationally mobile, which is also really important. We've got people that come from play, the place that I do from Doncaster who have more access to opportunity, whatever their background or color or religion, than, than people in my generation did. Um, but it's now time for us to step up and it's time for those people who are underrepresented. And by underrepresented group, that's, that's not just about uh, ethnicity and it's not just about religion. It's also about whether we're Northern or Southern. It's about whether we come from wealthy or less wealthy backgrounds. It's about whether we're state or private educated. Um, people from those underrepresented backgrounds, we need to be stepping forward and not just looking to further our careers, but also take those roles that are in the public eye to, to put ourselves forward for public appointments, to work with charities and support charities. And both to do, and it works in both directions. It's taking the benefits, the experience and the learning from those. And it's also giving your, the benefit of your experiences and, um, and your labour to, to support other people and to help them. Amazing. I think that in itself is a, is a rallying call that we'll have to <laughs> yeah. 
to have to all our listeners in a in a in a future future episode. I think that that just made me think of of one quick question on on my entire before opening up again to the, to the guys. And the question that I was coming to, and even with your with your answer there, there is that strong sense of purpose. Um, and I think you've referred back to the values that you grew up with and the community that you also saw growing up. But I'm curious to know with your experiences now. Growing up, as you mentioned at the beginning of the episodes, of your father working those late nights, right, to support the family, to now, as you've also mentioned, being a father today, how has that shaped your thinking as a as a father today? It's a couple of the guys in the, on the podcast are also uh, young fathers, and uh, the rest of us are hoping to be fathers one day. So, is there any tips and recommendation in that department that you can share? So, um, one of my experiences of uh, being a sort of first time dad. Um, when my wife was pregnant with our daughter, our first child, everybody, because you're a, you're going to be a first time parent, everybody wants to give you advice. And most <laughs> of it's terrible advice. And, and there were only two good pieces of advice that I got as a, uh, when we were expecting my, my daughter. The first one was don't take anybody's advice because, because your experiences are completely different to everybody else's. But the second one was, and probably the best piece of advice I ever received in life was the, don't make the mistake of realizing too late that children grow up really quickly. And, and I, and I think I was really lucky that, you know, it's because mum and dad were running a business and actually because they, you know, there was, you know, probably financial constraints there and there were limitations to what they could, they could afford to do that. I, they, you know, I used to, I, I grew up in the office and I grew up on our building sites and I grew up sat at the back of my dad's car, my feet too, my legs too short to touch the floor. Um, as he drove around the different houses and collected rent or went and saw tenants or went out to his uh, construction sites to see how they were getting on. And so I grew up around that business, but I also grew up with them. Um, and and they got the opportunity to see me grow up. And I've been really careful to to try and make sure that I, I really spend time with the kids because they do change so quickly. And And it sometimes makes me really sad to think that everything that they do, everything's a stage, but also... Everything they do, they'll one day do for the final time. And yeah. we won't know they've done it for the final time. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I think that, that advice that you got was similar to what I got, that the nights are, the nights are long, but the years are going <laughs> quick. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and then just to tag on to that, um, Tariq, into, how are you thinking about, um, I guess, the, the business and the education for your kids? Uh, you know, are you thinking differently about in terms of how you've come from, what your parents have given you? with what you've experienced are you what, what's the thinking there so we think about it across the family so i've got a brother and a sister and uh, my sister has children my brother doesn't yet um and and so we think about that all the way across the family so we've we've created within the family we've created a uh, we've put aside some some income and some money uh, to make sure that we can offer our children the best education that we can offer them so that might mean private schools, it might mean enabling them to go to university, it might mean supporting them to travel and get experiences. Um, and we've made sure that that's a real priority for us, so that comes ahead of everything else. Uh, and I think that's an, that's an important choice to make. That's actually the choice that, that our parents made for us. And and we were really fortunate they did put education um, at, the, at the top of the priority list. But also I think one of the other things that they did really, that was really beneficial for me, is that they insisted that we work as well. They expected us to to do something. So um, growing up every summer, I had some, every holiday I had something to do. You know, when I talked about my year out, I had plans about going traveling. They had 
very different plans for me. And that felt really tough at the time. Um, I'm going to be honest with you, when all my friends were, were out doing something else and it seemed much more exciting, and I was going into work every day in the summer holidays, that felt a bit uh, a bit much. But actually, that really set us up well for, for the future. Um, and then growing up around entrepreneurship as well. You know, I set up my own little business when I was 13, making, doing uh, graphic design and, uh, and stuff on computers for people around the local area, because that's what I've grown up seeing, seeing in the family, seeing people do. And that's what felt quite, quite natural and quite normal. And, and I think it's finding ways to, to give them the flexibility and the freedom to be able to make mistakes and make their own decisions and, and make some choices, while at the same time giving them the best possible grounding that we can and giving them the best possible opportunities that we can to, to help them to, to sort of start from a different level to the one that, that, that we as parents started from. And actually, from my perspective, yes, we do that for our own children. You know, that's really important to me that I do everything that I can for my children. But also, I want to see those opportunities for every young person mm. in, in Britain and, and ideally every young person around the world. Because I think actually, for all of us, one of the things that we all need is we need our best young people to really have the opportunity to thrive and to succeed. We need to open up those places of learning. We need to open up those places that maybe have felt closed to us. Um, you know, Shuel, you might um, recognize this little story. Um, but when I first arrived at Cambridge, and I arrived there as a 35, 36 year old uh, director of a business with a career behind me, somebody who was reasonably confident and successful and my own right. And, uh, and I felt pretty good about myself. And then I turned up in this place and they make you put a, a gown on. And this gown has got some ribbons on it. And nobody tells you how the gown goes on, what you wear underneath it, or whether the ribbons go in or out. And I felt like a real... <laughs> I felt a bit nervous. <laughs> and now, if I turn up to this place of learning, this institution of great learning, as somebody with all of that background, all of that history, and all of that confidence, and I feel really nervous, then for an 18-year-old turning up there, who comes from Doncaster, who's you know, probably never been in a place like that before. This this is the 18-year-old I was, let's be honest, um, who who doesn't feel like they fit in there anyway because it's not a place for people like them. And then they turn up and they're asked to put a, put a gown on, which has got ribbons that they're not quite sure whether to put it in or out and everybody laughs at them because it's the wrong way around. They feel like those are places that are ex they're excluded from. And for my children and for, for other children, I want those to be places that they feel included. And, and I think we've all got a lot of work to do to try and make sure that our children have those opportunities, that those places that they need to be in are, are open to them, and that the people that need to hear their voices can hear their, can hear their voices, um, and, and that they feel like they belong in, in our society. Thank you, Tarek. I've got a couple of questions, and I hope I'm not going to impose too much, and feel free to just say you'd rather not, and we can, we can chop it out. You mentioned you have two siblings, and mm -hmm. what you know, what made you take the lead of the family business? Because the, the, what I can think of is the last sort of family run uh, TV series I watched, was, which was Succession. So, you know, why, why was it you, <laughs> if you don't mind sharing? Well, I've not seen Succession, although I can probably imagine um, what that looks like. Um, so the first one was that I was older. Um, so I came along um, seven years before my brother did. And so that age gap just made it a natural natural fit um, but the second one of the other things that I think has been really important is that actually because of that age gap we grew up in slightly different eras 
and and I think I saw some of the struggle which maybe they didn't see, and I think that was really beneficial for me in the in the longer term. Um, and 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 I think you know I've had this conversation with my sister actually as well quite recently. I think I had there was a real risk for me that I would always be remembered. You know, my dad is really um, successful. He's he's changed the world in ways that I can never imagine doing that. And he's changed the world, not just for other people, but for himself and for his family and the people around him. And I will never be that person because I don't have the same background. I don't have the same experiences. And let's be honest, I don't think I have the same level of drive that he had in order to affect the, the scale of change that he did. Um, so there was a real risk that actually it, you could end up sitting in his shadow. And I made the choice not to, not to allow that to happen. And so that conversation on a train was really pivotal for me. The chat was called John O'Brien. He's a very good friend of mine now. I was with him a couple of weeks ago at an event called Anthropy that he's recently set up. Um, and, and he was really pivotal because that was the first thing that gave me my own opportunity to go out there and achieve something on my own and make my own name for me. And that was, for me, was really important. And what I've encouraged my siblings to do and what I encourage my children to do is to go out and find something that enables them to make their own name and to be, re to be recognized and to be respected for what they've done themselves. Thank you. And um, my last question, I promise, staying on the theme of succession, you know, when you step down, what does success look like to you? So it looks like a number of things. Um, I think um, I've got to be really careful here because I know one of the questions you're going to ask me and I don't want to, uh, to spoil <laughs> the answer to it. Um, but I think success looks like a number of things. The first one is that we have a stable and long-term, long-standing business that extends into the next generation and the generations beyond that. So that long-term stable foundation for a future business is, is really important. The second one is that we have multiple choices for the next generation of leader. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's not just within my children, but that's within the wider family. And it's within the business family as well, that we're bringing on people within the business who could easily be the next leader of that of the business. And I don't think it's necessary that our business will have to be led by a member of the family in future. It'd be nice if it is, if they are, if the family are the best people to do that, but it's not necessarily the case that there will be, and we should take a business decision about that and not a personal decision about that. Although the family will always be, I hope, really important in that, in that business growth. But also it's at the places that we live and work in, the places that have given us so much value, that they look and feel really different as well, and in a really positive way and that the communities that go after us have better opportunities and better um, and, and, and succeed and achieve better things than the ones that have gone before us. And actually, can I add something else to that as well? Of course. A big part of what we do is all about partnership. And so if we really want to think about what success looks like, it has to look like, first of all, us having great partnerships and long-standing partnerships with other organizations, but it also has to look has to, has to mean that the organizations that we've partnered with have also really grown and developed uh, and moved forward as well. And I hope that means that we have great competition as well as great cooperation. Thank you. Thank you. Great, great uh, responses and, and stories and, and insights, Tarek. And I think this is definitely going to be one of those episodes that for the listeners, you'll end up listening back to this episode at different stages in your life and it, um, giving you great insights in terms of what to do to do next at any stage. So I think with that, uh, we've had an amazing episode. As we always close our interview episodes, we, we have a quick five question fire round for you, Tarek. Um, five quick questions and then whatever comes from the to top of your head would be would be appreciated. So if that's all good for you, we can start. Perfect. 
Perfect. Okay, so question number one, Tarek. What is the what is the worst piece of advice that you've ever received, apart from the parenting one you mentioned earlier in the episode? <laughs> so I'm I'm going to have a real cop out on this question. I'm going to say there is no such thing as bad advice. There's advice that isn't right for you at the time. Yeah. But but there's no such thing as bad advice. And I think one of the real skills that you need in business and in life is to be able to know yourself well enough that you know whether advice is good for you or it isn't for you. That's a great answer. Yeah, great answer. So this actually might make it even more difficult for the for the next question then, because question number two is the <laughs> best piece of advice you've received. So we agree that every other piece of advice can be applicable at different stages in life, but what is the, the best piece of advice that you've received so far? So it came from my grandfather. It's something I remember him saying when I was really young. And he said, the purpose of life is to earn the respect of your fellow men, the love of little children, and to leave the world a little better for having used it. And that's something that has stuck with me for my entire life. And when I'm making decisions and when I'm making life decisions for myself, and also when I'm making decisions in business or in in any of the other things that I do, I go back to that. And I think, how does it help us along that journey? Well, yeah, that's a, a beautiful way to continue the the stories from your from your grandfather and what you really embody in all your work, which is clear for the for the listeners and for us this uh, this episode. Uh, question number three for you, Tarek: A piece of content that you're loving at the moment. So this can be a book, it can be digital media, whatever it is, but something that you're really enjoying. So there's this really good podcast, a Take Flight podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> for the, for we'll the leave, we'll leave that in. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, one of the things that I'm really enjoying at the moment is I'm listening on audiobooks. I've always got a podcast or an audiobook on. I do a lot of driving, um, and I always have one on the go in the car. Um, so at the moment, I'm listening to The Science of Storytelling by Will Storr. And it's been really interesting because everything that we do is all about storytelling. And it's interesting to hear how how stories are built up and how great stories are, are, are constructed. But also to think about things like how we use story both to bring people together and also to separate people. And how we simplify things into a narrative in order to deal with some of the complexities in life. And we all have to do that in every world, whether it's political, whether it's in business, right. whether it's in our personal lives. We have to simplify things into a narrative to make them understandable. But one of the things I really took from that is that life is complex. People are complex. And some of those sim- things that feel and seem simple quite often never are. And attributing um, intention to people can sometimes be really unhelpful when thinking about when really what we're, what we're, what we're seeing is their outcomes rather than their intentions. So it's a powerful lesson. I think for, for the listeners out there, I think through this episode, if you rewind and listen back, you will hear some of the great stories that Tarek has been able to convey. And through that, some key points that are being conveyed as well. So it's definitely something that we can all uh, develop further and really try to to improve and, and get to the point where we're able to share stories like Tarek has done in today's, today's episode. Um, question number four, Tarek, something that you're curious to learn more about. So... We're doing some work at the moment. We're doing some uh, uh, research, some really deep thinking internally about mm. how we change the world. And one of the things that we're looking at is how housing and the built environment more generally really impacts on health outcomes. Um, so I'm really curious to keep on learning more about that. We're, we're deep diving into that at the moment. And we want to understand how what we do day to day can be used to impact on health long term. And, and actually then thinking about if we can have that kind of impact, 
How do we then look at the costs and the impacts and the economic benefits of that? And how do we bring that forward to bring to take forward more investment into the right kind of development and regeneration? Amazing. So the the goals just continue to become uh, even even bigger. So we're all looking forward to continuing to to root for you, Tarek, and and, and the team. And actually, that gives us a great way to to close with the final question before we pass it over to to Daniel to kindly wrap up for us. So Tarek Shah, OBE, what does take flight mean uh, to you? So for me, it means scale of ambition, and it means it means having a scale of ambition, but then also taking those first steps. So it's really easy to think big, but never never take the first step. And actually, what we need is a scale of ambition where we think big, but also where without necessarily having everything sorted, everything understood, and everything planned out, that we take those first steps to towards that that large scale ambition. Thank you, Tarek. Thank you. Um, and behalf and behalf of all of us at Take Flight Podcast, we'd like to just say a, a very warm thank you for sharing your time, sharing your insights, and sharing your story with us and all of our listeners today. And for, for us and for all our listeners, can you just share where we can find more information about you, whether you know any social media handles or anything that we can that's publicly available? So I'm on LinkedIn at Tarek Shah OBE. That's the one that I probably use the most personally. Um, our website is vigogroup.co.uk um, and on Twitter uh, at vigogroup. Thank you very much. We'll be sure to put all of that in our content for this episode so all of our listeners and ourselves can follow you and stay in touch. So that's a wrap for our latest episode, uh, episode 211 of Take Flight Podcast. I hope you've all found it, just like myself, very insightful, very enlightening and very educational. And remember, you can do everything in life if you just give back and do it along the way, as Tariq has shared with his family business. So until next time, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight with you. Yeah, we never fly, but we're